Welcome back to Cunningham's Law Review, where our goal is to listen to the top artists and songs of the last 100 years, starting in 1920 and working our way forward. Every Monday, we review what we hear and share the history of popular music with you as we do. I'm Richie, and you're listening to Side A of our final episode featuring 1922's music. In today's episode, we'll be listening to and reviewing the 1922 works of Marion Harris, Eileen Stanley, and Cunningham's declared queen of the blues, Mamie Smith. As we say goodbye to the year 1922's music, and we edge ever closer to the huge leap in quality that will be evident soon with the adoption of electronic recording in 1925, we have some familiar faces to see us off. Marion Harris, Eileen Stanley, and Mamie Smith are all artists who we've already introduced in some of our previous episodes, and so we won't give their entire history here. However, here are three facts that you should know about them. Marion Harris was one of the best-selling artists of the 1920s and has been called the Queen of the Blues, a title that we at Cunningham's feel is undeserved when compared to other blues artists of the same time period, especially her Queen of the Blues competitor, Mamie Smith, who consistently outscores her objectively. In our first reviews of Harris, she earned a disappointing average of 12 points out of 25 and currently has the lowest scoring song of any we've reviewed, with a 7. However, 1921 was a breakout year for Harris score-wise as she began to own her own role as a jazz artist, earning a career high of 19 with I'm a Jazz Vampire and earning an average score for that year of 16.6. Harris's work as a white jazz singer was well-liked at the time, but some of her performances have not aged well at all due to their affected accents that are painfully obvious, insulting subject matter, and generally vapid topics when she's not offending people. Hopefully her work in today's playlist leans more to her 1921 work instead of taking steps backward. Our next artist, Eileen Stanley, was born in Chicago to English immigrants in 1893. And her life in the performing arts would start early when even as a child she would perform to help her family make ends meet. Eileen's real name was Maud Elsie Eileen Muggeridge, which she changed to Eileen Stanley, taking the name from an act that she performed with her brother, Stanley and Eileen. Eileen Stanley was a bit of a letdown in her 1921 Cunningham's debut, receiving an average of 11.25 for her work, especially since she was being compared to excellent performances in the same episode from Marion Harris, who made major strides that year and improved from her 1920 score almost five points. Our next artist, Mamie Smith, was one of the very first artists that we ever covered in Cunningham's Law Review, 1920-1, and for good reason. She is the first black woman to record vocals on a blues track, and her performance would define that sound for generations of future musicians. Her iconic performance would even lead to the creation of an entirely new genre of music called race records by proving that not only would black audiences buy music performed by black musicians, but that white audiences would too. In 1921's Dangerous Blues, Smith came down with a musical fever, earning a full hot 19 points for the performance. That same year, her band, the Jazz Hounds, played an instrumental called Royal Garden Blues, earning 16 points while Smith herself was noticeably absent. So let's stop talking about the music and start listening. First, you may have noticed that our tempo has changed to once a week, where previously the show would release episodes four times a week. That's intentional, as we now have a backlog of episodes, and I'm trying not to go insane from publishing as often, which is a huge effort. 
From now on, we'll be publishing one to two episodes per week for our Century series as we continue to build our audience. For those of you listening to the podcast through Spotify, there's a version of the episode available to you, which includes all of the music as part of the podcast, so you'll only have to press play once, and everything including the music will play on its own. The episodes with built-in music are limited to Spotify, so if you're listening to this episode through a different service or on YouTube and still want to listen to the music, a playlist of what we're listening to today is on Spotify and is called Cunningham's Law Review 1922-5, and you don't need a paid account to access that playlist. You can also find a link to this episode on the Cunningham's Law Review subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash Cunningham's Law Review. We want to know what you think about our reviews and the music we're hearing, so make sure to join us on the subreddit, leave us an anchor voicemail, or reach out on Twitter at Cunning Review. That's all for Side A of episode 1922-5. We'll see you for the reviews after the songs on Side B. Welcome back to Cunningham's Law Review, episode 1922-5, where we're listening to the music of three of the early 20s most successful recording artists, Marion Harris, Eileen Stanley, and Mamie Smith. This is the B-side of the podcast, where we review each of the songs in today's music and talk more about the impact that these songs had. If you'd like to join the conversation, the Cunningham's Law subreddit will have a dedicated post for this episode at reddit.com slash r slash Cunningham's Law Review, and we'd love to hear from you through an anchor voicemail or on Twitter at Cunning Review. I'm Richie, your host, and I hope you enjoyed the music, or at least heard something new. Before we get into the reviews today, though, I'd like to take a second to give some insight into our review system, which we've had some questions about. Our review system is called the MICA system, that's M-I-C-A-A, which stands for Mastery, Innovation, Catchiness, Authenticity, and Artistic Statement, and it's unique to Cunningham's Law Review. We haven't really spoken about what that system means, though, since our early episodes. So here, in our last episode of 1922's music, we'd like to give a quick description of each of those standards and why they're important. We judge each of the songs that we review on a scale that has a minimum of five points, since spelling your name correctly or having the guts to create anything at all is always worth better than zero. Since there are five categories in the MICA system, that means a minimum of five and a maximum of 25 points possible. In Mastery, we look at how difficult a song was and how well that difficulty was overcome. An easy song played perfectly will get a three, while a hard song played poorly may score the same or worse depending on how badly it went. Innovation looks at how the artist or band is pushing the limits of their time, including socially, technologically, and in developing new forms of music. Experimentation is rewarded, and a successful experiment is rewarded even more highly. Catchiness is simple on its face. It judges how much the song grabs your attention and tries to keep it. If you turn a song off before it's finished or have to power through, then it's not a catchy song. But if you want to play it on loop until you hate it, then that song is going to score well in this category. Why is catchiness important enough to stand on its own as a category? Simple. If you won't listen to the song, none of the rest matters. Our first A is authenticity, which is something that many of the artists in the 20s have suffered with. While we can't blame everything we hear on cultural appropriation gone wild, we do need to take a look at the songs as they present themselves to us and see if we believe the performance. 
Finally, artistic statement asks the question, what does the artist do with our attention once they have it? What do they say, either lyrically or in performance, that will outlast them and make the song timeless? And that's it. Not every song can score a 25, nor should we expect that to fall short of 25 makes a bad song. If you need a reference, most of the songs we review are going to fall at around 15 points, because we're reviewing the most popular music of the time. Doing better than that usually involves taking advantage of new instruments, genres, statements, and going out on a limb and finding ripe fruit while you're there. We have not reviewed a song so far that in our show has earned a 25, but one is coming soon, I can promise you that. For today, let's take the MICA system to Marion Harris's offering, starting first with a song that everyone has at least heard of in I'm Just Wild About Harry. If you recognize this song, which almost everyone will as soon as it opens up since the refrain starts in early with I'm Just Wild About Harry, and that's been featured a billion places including as Harry Truman's election campaign song in 1948, you can thank two African-American writers, Noble Sissel and Eubie Blake, for writing it. Believe it or not, in the vaudeville days it was standard practice to book no more than one black act at a time, so it was basically impossible for black actors and performers to end up working together. Writing duo Blake and Sissel met comedy duo Miller and Lyles at a meeting of the NAACP in 1920, where they figured out that the key to getting black people on Broadway was to enter through musical comedy. They ended up writing the musical Shuffle Along, which featured this song and became a runaway hit. In Marion Harris's version, which was a cover of the original Not Meant for Broadway, Harris brings a rather uninspired intro, and she does a functional rendition of the song that doesn't add much to it. However, in the musical interlude, it's obvious that Harris has gotten the message of Jazz's arrival, and the playing is interesting. It seems like Harris is trying to take a page directly from Broadway performer Al Jolson in spelling out words for interesting effect, though she's clearly not as fluid with it as he is. The song ends up with a mica score of 14, with scores of 3 3 2 3 3. In Aggravate and Papa, Marion Harris's band shows a lot of ragtime influence in the rhythm, but the lyrics are normal for the time and basically feature a woman whose lover is not being faithful. There's an interesting reference that's possibly to Jelly Roll Morton in the song, where Harris adds that Papa, who is aggravating her, is referred to as Sweet Jelly Roll. As the song goes on, though, it gets worse and worse, and in the last verse, Harris reverts to her previous racist caricatures and says that the woman has been feeding the man catfish and now wants to axe him where his loyalties lie. It's a ridiculous affected accent that clearly shows the character played in the song is meant to be black, which only helps us to realize that Harris has again chosen to portray the black relationship as one of infidelity and violence, as the lead character has previously mentioned a 44 for her lover if he doesn't straighten out. The song finds low after low, ending with the line, brown men are triflers, tan men are worse, I guess I'll get a fast black and play safety first. Which, if I'm catching the lyrics correctly, she's suggesting a man to beat her lover to cheating with before he can cheat on her. But I can't verify the lyrics in the sheet music because even though they're available, Harris added this last verse on her own, and it's not in the original sheet music. It's as if she thought it would be funny to add the song for her vaudeville act and just went with it on the recording as well. Before we bury this song in the past forever, it's worth noting that Bessie Smith is well known for doing this song as well, but she doesn't add the added verse. I was able to verify that Harris did this song first, however, and it was by quite a few months. 
The song was even written by two white men, J. Russell Robinson of the original Dixieland Jazz Band and Roy Turk, who would go on to write 1927's Are You Lonesome Tonight? And yes, that's the one that would be made famous by Elvis in the 50s. Now, in Russell and Turk's sheet music, there are references to a Zez Comfrey song at the High Brown Baby's Ball and to Jelly Roll Morton, but in general, it's hard to identify any one place that clearly displays racist intent. So Harris did that on her own for the most part, especially by adding the entire last verse where the character really comes in hard. Authenticity bombs with a score of one, an artistic statement does as well for taking the original material in a hateful bent. Mastery earns a two for the half-hearted jazz attempt that is transparently tacked on, innovation is a three for maintaining the status quo, and catchiness is a two since there's not much to speak of and the lyrics really rip you out of the rhythm of the song. That leaves us with a Micah score of 9 and a very disappointing return to form for Marion Harris. Continuing our lack of authenticity, Marion Harris is not from Alabama, no matter how much she would like you to believe that she is, and that she pines for the South, where a hen will say hello to you and then lay you an egg. This is very much in the wheelhouse of Al Jolson, even mentioning Swanee, which you'll remember is in Florida. Even more in the chorus, she says that she'll get a hen, who then she references as a he, to lay her breakfast in the morning, and it makes you wonder if she has ever been to a farm or knows that roosters don't lay eggs. It's an inauthentic song, so it matches Al Jolson in that way too, receiving a two for authenticity and an artistic statement. But a three, it does receive for catchiness, as it is at least fun to listen along to. Harris's voice is better suited for this range and receives a three for mastery, and a two for innovation since she basically took Jolson's shtick, even saying she misses her mammy. Total Micah of 12. In Nobody Lied When They Said I Cried Over You, Harris again misses her lover over an uninspired arrangement and a poor recording where her voice overwhelms the musicians and yet still sounds as if she was in a can. Micah score of 11 with a 3 in artistic statement for at least including jazz elements and varied melodies in the vocals and 2s in the remaining categories. In Blue and Broken Hearted, we have another terrible recording, which is crazy because we have heard many so far from Harris and many other musicians of the time who indeed were able to be recorded properly. In this recording, there's warbling and the voices again sound as if they are routed through a tin can. And while we can forgive the static hisses, which may likely be imperfections in the record that this audio was recorded from, it doesn't generally excuse the poor quality overall here. And we can say that confidently because there are many other better recordings from the contemporary time. The song is okay otherwise, taking a foxtrot rhythm to a ballad topic. The eponymous blue and broken-hearted section follows a lowing repetition of the word blue for effect, but it sounds silly and takes away from the song, lowering the innovation and mastery scores to twos. Catchiness receives a three with the benefit of the doubt that this song would have been better if there were better recording. Artistic statement and authenticity respectively receive a 2 and 3 for covering well-trodden material serviceably, bringing the total to a 12, matching exactly her average for this year. Now, all in one year, Marion Harris is claimed to be from Alabama and now is pining for a sweet home of Indiana. But of all the places that Marion Harris claims to be from, Indiana is the only one that's accurate regarding her childhood. But it's realistic to remind you that she spent most of her life in Manhattan. In this, we're expected to believe that as she sits in Manhattan and looks fondly back through her dreams, every single night she wanders around the fields where she grew up. It's much like a John McCormick song in that it presents a romantic version of childhood and home, but then adds a new element of taking an overnight train to Indiana, 
where she ticks off the hours, letting you know what she'll be up to at the hours of the journey. Overall, the song is successful, though Harris's attempt at scatting in the final section is just bad and only keeps a mastery score of three for the band's strong supporting performance. The piece is catchy and makes an artistic statement in its imagery of the train trip and romantic visions of home, but this has to be tempered with reality as the song is overly dramatic and does not play as authentic fully. Overall, the song gets a MICA score of 33323 for a total of 14. Now, I love it when we get to look over two of the same songs back-to-back from different artists, especially when they're from the same year with the same kind of technology to help them record and with the same kind of influences available to both. They really showcase where one artist can shine above the other in the choices they make, both in terms of arrangement and presentation. Eileen Stanley was born in Chicago, which of course is not Indiana, and it is certainly not a rural area, either full of rocking chairs or farm fields. Stanley is clearly not as comfortable with the jazz rhythm as Harris is, and her voice seems pitchy in comparison. She receives a two in mastery. The music also incorporates tired arrangements that lend a backing for the song and not much else, earning a two for innovation since we've seen how well the song worked for a jazz arrangement with looser rhythms. Catchiness is a two as well since Stanley's voice is off-putting. The song seems like it's being recorded because it's popular, not because it's important to Stanley. An authenticity and artistic statement received twos as well for a total score of 10 out of 25. Moving on to our real queen of the blues, Mamie Smith, Lonesome Mama Blues immediately showcases the jazz hounds making their presence known as they lay the tracks down for Mamie Smith to join them with her powerful voice. Ironically, her voice sounds like Marion Harris in this track more than it has previously, though she brings back more of her own sound in the last two-thirds of the song for an authenticity score of three. Unfortunately, the song is about being lonely and missing a man, so the artistic statement of three is only saved by the jazz arrangement and Mamie Smith's soulful singing. The song earns a three for mastery, innovation, and catchiness, rounding out the score of 15 for Mamie Smith's first offering of 1922. Overall, it seems like the band is better than the song that they're working with. In You Can Have Him, I Don't Want Him, I Didn't Love Him Anyhow Blues, we have a much better version of the, quote, My Man's Cheating On Me song, where instead the singer says to the other woman, You can have him, I don't want him, because I didn't love him anyhow. And you could take that as sour grapes, but it's clearly not the case. Mastery is at three here with the Jazz Hounds and Mamie Smith showing their stuff, and the lyrics are in a score of four for innovation. Catchiness is a three along with authenticity and artistic statement for a total of 16 on our last song of 1922. And that is all for today's episode and for our reviews of songs from 1922. We'll be back next Monday with our first episode of 1923, where we will be listening to music from a woman who foregoes vying for the paltry title of Queen of the Blues and skips instead straight to Empress, Bessie Smith. We'll also be hearing from Ethel Waters and Marion Harris again to see if she can do anything with another year of offered wisdom under the sun. After today, I doubt it, but she'll be paired head-to-head with one of the late 20s greatest blues and jazz stars, so we should get our answer pretty quickly on Monday. Whether or not you agree with us, we want to know what you think, because Cunningham's Law states that the best way to learn something on the internet isn't to ask a question, but to post the wrong answer somewhere. So make sure to find the Cunningham's Lost subreddit where we will have a dedicated post for this episode at reddit.com slash r slash Cunningham's Law Review. We'd love to hear from you through an Anchor voicemail or on Twitter at Cunning Review. If you leave us an Anchor voicemail that we end up using on the show, we'll review an album of your choice in a special episode, even if it's your own band's. 
If you like what we're doing here, leave us a review on your favorite podcasting service and follow the podcast everywhere you can. And if you don't like it, definitely don't mention that to anybody. Until next time, I've been your host, Richie, and you've been listening to Cunningham's Law Review. Our theme music is a difficult subject by The Insider, and nobody else works here. 